0: Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And we come to you a week late. Uh, We apologize for missing last week. I was under the weather, as well as I broke my computer by spilling water all over it. So we were unable to record last week, unfortunately, but we are back today and we'll be releasing every Tuesday continually. Um, So we apologize for that uh, episode last week, but we are back now and we can uh, get into it starting in the Premier League with the first game of the week. Arsenal versus Leicester. Um, Arsenal coming out with a 2-0 win. Uh, Gabriel putting in a header in the fifth minute. Uh, Emile Smith-Rowe in the 18th minute making it 2-0 and Arsenal holding on from there. Uh, to, to get the 2-0 victory. Garrett, what were your thoughts on this match?
1: Well, I mean, I, I really think it's it's harsh on Leicester that they lost lost this game. Obviously, the, the defending at the beginning of the game was not ideal um, you know, letting Gabriel get an unmarked header from the corner and then the Smith-Rowe goal was, you know, a bit unlucky that the, the deflection happens to come out right to Smith-Rowe who then just passes it into the net and there's nothing Casper Schmeichel can do about it. But you look at the stats of this game, Justin, 16 shots to 9, 8 shots on target to 5, 65% possession all in favor of Lester. And it really comes down to the fact that Aaron Ramsdale was standing on his head in this game, made some unreal saves, most notably from a James Madison free kick. um, And and that clip was all over the internet because it was a fantastic save, pushed it onto the bar, but he made a, a variety of a bunch of great saves. So, Um, I think, you know, Arsenal, it's a big three points for them, obviously. Um, They were perhaps a bit fortunate to get it, but Ramsdale is looking a better signing every week. And, you know, I was a bit skeptical of them spending the amount of money that they did on him after back-to-back relegations. But thus far, he's been well worth it. Unbelievable performance from him. Um, But it's definitely a tough pill to swallow if you're Lester.
0: Yeah, certainly a lot of uh, FPL managers, including myself, uh, benched him for probably Ben Foster would have been the backup for a lot of people. And it did not work out well. Um, and as you say, I mean, the stats bear it out it, in XG Lester had nearly two at 1.98 and Arsenal won at 0.92. So by XG, uh, Lester should have won this game as well. So we do see that uh, maybe, maybe Arsenal were a little bit lucky, but you know, you get those two goals early and if you can you know prevent them from scoring, you're going to get that win. So, Arteta ball starting to show itself, um, I think, in, in you know his tenure at Arsenal.
1: We'll move on to the next game on Saturday, or to the to the seven o'clock window, at least if you're on the West Coast like we are, um, and we'll start with Southampton picking up a 1-0 victory against Watford, a Che Adams goal with a very accomplished finish. Justin, that was their only shot on target in this game at Vicarage Road, but it was enough for the Saints to take home all three points against the Hornets um, in you know what could be described kind of as a relegation six-pointer. Both of these teams just outside of the relegation zone at the moment, but it's a very big win for Southampton to stop a skid that they've been on recently.
0: Yeah, certainly is. Um, as you say, yeah, relegation six-pointer or just you know placing in that bottom half, where how it's going to turn out. It looks like Southampton are probably going to be safe, um, even though you know they're only four points out of the relegation zone right now. They're they're showing some ability now to to beat the teams that they should be above, um, like Watford. And if they can continue to beat those teams, that's you know the type of game that keeps them in the Premier League. Because I know a lot of People were doubting it uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, beating you know Leeds. They did something similar. Who are obviously having a poor poor year. So yeah, I think it, it's good for Southampton as far as Watford. Um, I mean, they could have gotten this win and and showed that they were uh, you know not going to be relegation contenders because after they had a, a big five two win against your Everton, which I know you don't want to talk about. I don't want
1: to talk about uh, it.
0: Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean that was obviously a huge win. And then if they followed up with this, so it, it would have been big um, had they yeah. not because they have in their next, oh, geez, if I look at their next five games, Arsenal, Man United, Leicester City, Chelsea, Man City. That's that is brutal. Absolutely brutal. So they are, I mean, after those five games, if they're not in the relegation zone, it'll be impressive. So it, this, this is a big uh, loss for them in terms of points-wise because they needed to pick up some points before that run.
1: Yeah, they they needed to build momentum. They needed to build off of the late comeback at, at Goodison Park. And they were unable to do that against a, a struggling Southampton side. So I think, yeah, Watford might be in a bit of trouble now. And especially after that run of fixtures, Justin, you know, I was talking about Ranieri getting sacked before Christmas. I mean, he he might get sacked within five games from now if they lose all those, which I think they most likely will. So who knows the way that Watford do their business. And, you know, I've ranted about this in the past. Yeah. It's going to be a tough, you know, month and a half or so for them. We'll move on to one of the other games, which was at Anfield. Brighton coming from behind and managing to nick a point off of Liverpool. Um, it was Jordan Henderson who opened the scoring in the fourth minute with with a lovely finish in the top left corner. And then Sadio Mane getting on the end of, of, a, of a over-the-top through ball and finishing um, in, in typical money fashion, but Brighton came storming back. Enoch Mwepu getting his first goal for the club in the 41st minute. And then it was Leandro Trossard slaloming through the Liverpool back line and finding the near post expertly. Um, uh, it's a big point for Brighton. And the fact that Liverpool crumbled from 2-0 down is kind of surprising. Um, they were outshot or at least shots on target. Brighton won that department six shots on target to three Liverpool did have more overall shots, but um, you know, they didn't find a way to get it done. You, you kind of thought it was over at two nil and it very much wasn't. So credit to Brighton for coming all the way back at, you know, one of the hardest places to, to win in the whole league. So, you know, very impressive from them.
0: Absolutely. Um, and you know, they've been having a really good season um, and this has to be the most impressive result of their season. Uh, in my opinion, I believe they beat uh, Leicester, if I'm not mistaken, which is a pretty good win. Yeah, they did yeah, 2-1 yeah. Um, on September 19th. But the that I mean, that's a pretty impressive win. But to me, this is certainly a more impressive uh, result, especially after going down 2-0. I mean, you think about it, 2-0, I mean, granted it was at Old Trafford, but United were down 2-0 at the 25th or half an hour mark, you know, and that quickly went to 5-0. And Brighton... Uh, found a way to turn it around. Obviously the um, Mane had a goal that went off his arm and was ruled out. So that that was was a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of a momentum shift to allow Brighton uh, to get back into the game, but they found a way, fought back something uh, United clearly couldn't do the week before. So yeah, it definitely shows uh, Brighton's ability and it shows a little bit of vulnerability in Liverpool who I, we hadn't seen vulnerability basically all year because they're still unbeaten and They've been in top form basically as good as any team in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, Brighton actually also had a higher XG in this game, 1.53 to 1. 1.3, which is, you know, very impressive from them. It's not many teams go to Anfield and, you know, get the better of Liverpool, which – You know, based on that, obviously, you know, a a draw seems like a relatively fair result. But considering that Liverpool scored both their goals in in the first 25 minutes, the fact that, you know, Brighton had the better of, you know, the rest of the game and ended up getting a higher XG than Liverpool. Yeah, they've been having a great season and there were a few doubts because they've had a couple blips here and there, like drawing against Norwich the other week. and, And we were kind of questioning for them, questioning them for that. But, you know, yeah, this is a very impressive display. And what it did, Justin, was it let Chelsea uh, solidify their lead at the top of the table. They went to St. Rhys James's Park, as people have been calling it now, <laughs> because of the fullback scoring two excellent goals up there in Newcastle and then a Jorginho penalty um, to put the cherry on top of a 3-0 victory for Chelsea. Jorginho became the first player to ever score 10 consecutive goals from the penalty spot in the Premier League with that goal, which is, I think is quite a fascinating stat, but not really surprising. But, yeah, Justin, what were your thoughts of, on Chelsea's display? Obviously, all, all the goals coming after the 65th-minute mark, they found a way to get it done, which is kind of what they've been doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely is. Um, I mean, there have been some games where Chelsea have played poorly and they they found a way to do it late. I don't really think this is one of those games. Obviously they didn't score until, you know, the 65th minute, but it's not like Newcastle were ever really in this game. No. Um nobody ever thought that they had a chance. They had one shot on target the entire game. 20% possession. I mean, that is a really really low number.
1: At so, home. Yeah.
0: Yeah, at home. Yeah, so it's it's unlikely um obviously Chelsea have now won their past two games by a total margin of ten to nil uh, aggregate. Obviously, that's only that's Norwich and Newcastle, so it should be what they're doing. But yeah, I, I mean, a good win from Chelsea. What you ex- what you would expect against a side on what four points um, in the relegation fight and without a manager right now. Um, so yeah, I'm, no surprise there. The, the expected result, um, but what was a surprise. Um, was was my team, Man City. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, did losing 2-0 to uh, Crystal Palace at home. Wilfred Zaha opening the scoring in the sixth minute off of a really poor uh, back pass from Invergla Laport got picked off. And Wilfred Zaha was in, slotted at home past uh, Ederson, who has been getting a lot of stick recently from City fans um, for his shop-stopping abilities. And then... City, you know, tried to get back in it continually until Laporte got sent off. Um, Went from right... bad to worse for him. Sure, it, it sure did. Um, very, very poor performance from him. Uh, and, yeah, he got sent off um, right before the half. And then the second half, you know, City City kept pushing, kept pushing. Uh, Phil Foden provided a beautiful ball for Gabriel Jesus, who was slotted at home, but Unfortunately, Phil Foden was barely offside on his uh, run down the wing. So it did not count. Hope that could have turned the game on its head. Did not. Um, And Connor Gallagher then sealed it in the 88th minute uh, with a counterattacking goal after City were pushing everybody for it.
1: Yeah, it was a great was. finish. Unsavable. Clipped, clipped the inside of the post. It was past Ederson before he even knew it. I mean, it's a it's a great result for Palace. I think the fact that you guys had 68% possession, despite the fact that you were down a man for the entire second half, is quite funny. But, you know, obviously Palace had a lead to protect at that point. And, you know, Palace have never been a, a team to dominate possession. They're not Brighton. You know, they're, they're almost the opposite of that. But they were very effective on the counter. They had two... Good chances off counters. They took both of them. You know, Zaha's goal, he actually kind of scuffed it, but it worked out for him and and still nestled in that bottom corner. And then we've talked about Connor Gallagher. You know, he's been a difference maker for Palace on loan from Chelsea, obviously. You know, I'm very interested to see if if he's going to get a chance under Tuchel next year. Um, but, you know, with Loftus-Cheek and Barkley coming off the bench every week for Chelsea, I, I'd be kind of surprised if he doesn't at this point with the way that he's playing at Palace. You know, obviously I'd, had a brace against West Ham. I think it was the first week of the season. But he's been a difference maker for them. And the fact that Palace are playing the way that they are right now, obviously they, they came from um, – or they just barely blew that uh, game at the Emirates and ended up still picking up a point. But, you know, they've been playing some some relatively decent stuff under Patrick Vieira, they obviously beat Tottenham three nil last month, or I guess now two months ago because we're recording this on November first. But this is a big win for them, and you think about the fact that Eberechi is still injured. You know, arguably, you know, top two, three most important players in their whole squad, and he should be coming back sooner than later. Um, you know, Elise getting the assist on on Gallagher's goal, it, obviously for City, it, it's a horrible result you know, gives Chelsea and Liverpool a bit more room between them. But just from Palace's point of view, obviously, you know, winning at the champions is an amazing thing, but I think it's more than just that, you know, they've been playing well. And, and I think they, not that they deserved to win this game, even though they, they may have, they, they did actually have more XG, but more that they've been getting unlucky with some of the results recently. So I think it's a big three points for their confidence and, and three points that they've probably been unlucky not to get in past fixtures.
0: Yeah, it's not that uh, Palace played incredibly well. It really was City were very poor. Um, I can pick maybe Ruben Diaz, Rodri, and maybe Foden were were three okay players. The rest, nothing really from them. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne had an extremely poor game as he's uh, starting to make a streak of, unfortunately. Uh, So I, I, I of course, still have faith in him, I believe. You know, he'll turn it around and show – why he is you know, one of the best, if not the best, midfielders in the entire world. Um, but it, it's been a down season so far for him. He hasn't been able to find that form that we expect from him, uh, which is problematic because we need those chances created. It's been um, really Jack Grealish who's been creating those chances, even though you'll see a lot of uh, stick that he gets on Twitter or wherever else. But he has you know, created the most chances per 90 of any player in the Premier League. Um, and it's really that we've been forcing a lot down that left side because Cancelo who's a natural right back has been playing on that left side and bombing forward. Uh, and so basically every come, everything comes down the left side, uh, which, you know, congests things a little bit. Um, hopefully, you know, we can find, find a way to fix that. Maybe it's move Cancelo to the right side, uh, put Zinchenko in and, you know, figure out another place for Walker. Maybe he comes off the bench even if, if necessary, um, because of because of the way that it works there. But, uh, of course, everyone will continue to point to no striker because we continue to f- not be able to find a way to put the ball in the back of the net.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it, it's just the same point we've been hammering on all season about no striker, no striker, but Justin, would you like to elaborate on what you texted me directly after the game, which is that you're you're starting to doubt the signing of Jack Grealish, not Jack Grealish as a player. Obviously, we know he's, he's very, very talented, but it's no secret that, you know, although you were very excited about, you know, City signing Jack Grealish, because why wouldn't you be smashing the transfer record and everything? But... You know, it it, it was Grealish. What city needed, and and is that you know? Obviously, you didn't get a chance to explain this to me. But why are you doubting Jack Grealish as a signing? Well, I mean,
0: it's partly what I doubted from the moment we signed him, which is we're spending a hundred million on another winger.
1: (laughs) <laughs> right,
0: we're spending another hundred billion on a player who's not Harry Kane, who's not a striker, um, who, who's does he is a winger. We have a ton of wingers, and so that was always the concern from the beginning, um, and it seems to be that way. But the reason I was saying that is is because of the way that it's being employed. There's so many. Uh, what I was just mentioning of the left side when we have. Um, Grealish there, Cancelo on the left side, Bernardo uh, moving to the left side. Phil will drift in and Gabby come to the top. Then it then it just becomes extremely congested. And Grealish is a player who needs a little bit of t- space to work. So while he's creating these chances, he needs, uh, you know, a striker to be in there to finish it. And since we never, you know, spent the money there, it, it's it's problematic. It's not that Grealish has been poor. Um, he hasn't. It's really just the way that it's, it's been implemented within the team, um, which is really a question for Pep, in my opinion. So, so that's where I've been questioning because I know Pep wanted him greatly. He, Pep admires him as a player and the, you know, his flexibility to be able to play in the 8, the 10, the false 9, on the wing, wherever, really. Um, yeah, and so that's why Pep you know, brought him in. He loves his ability. But it's up to Pep to then employ him correctly and give him the, the space and the help he needs around him. Um, obviously there's great players there. It's just how do you tactically make that work? And I think crowding that left side has been problematic for him, uh, even though, yes, as I said, he continues to be able to create chances. He needs to have more space uh, to operate.
1: And with that, I think we'll move over to Turf Moor, where Burnley picked up their first win of the season – winning three goals to one over Brentford and Burnley were phenomenal in the first half of this game. Um, Chris Woods opening the scoring in the fourth minute with a volley. Um, Brentford's backup keeper was playing in this game. Fernandez um, as uh, David Raya. There we go. That's the name uh, was, was missing through injury. Um, And so Chris Wood scored that volley. The, Backup keeper, Fernandez, was in quite an awkward position there. He was in no man's land, and so even though Woods' volley wasn't you know, exactly in the corner, it was kind of past Fernandez before he even had a chance. Matt Loughton then, of all people, the right back, towered above Brentford's center backs and, and scored a header in the 32nd minute. And then it was Maxwell Corne finding the score sheet yet again. He's been on fire since joining the Clarets. He actually had two goals in the first half, one of which was ruled out for a very, very marginal offside. But the one that did count was an absolute beauty uh, dribbling past a couple players and then putting one straight in the top right corner on, on his weaker right foot. It, it, you know, he's been fantastic for Burnley um, playing, um, as almost a second striker uh, next to Chris Wood, despite the fact that, you know, he's been a left winger or left back in the past, obviously wasn't ever going to displace Dwight McNeil out of his position, but it's a big three points for Burnley. Obviously their first win of the season, they are still in the relegation zone, but they're up to 18th leapfrogging Newcastle. Um, So a brilliant performance from them, but from Brentford's point of view, that's now three losses on the road. So, you know, obviously they started the season extremely well but now they're starting to find out okay well maybe this form isn't quite sustainable in the top flight in the Premier league and they're finding things a little bit more difficult now
0: certainly are certainly are Um, luckily for them they have Norwich and Newcastle as their next two so hopefully they can find their form uh, for them but as you say yeah an incredible uh, performance from Burnley I I can honestly say I didn't expect such a a dominant performance especially in that Uh first half as you say Um, it was really really impressive um but uh, yeah i mean it it took them out of the relegation zone after for the for the time being until the until Leeds, you know got their win and, and hopped them right back ahead of them yeah but you know the wins are what you need to uh survive in the premier league and they finally got one of them the two teams below them still can't get one um so that that is how you stay in the premier league is wins draws will not do it um you Obviously, it's only one point to three. Uh, nobody needs to repeat that, but it's it's the the amount of points to say in the Premier League is is so little that as long as you can get a few wins under your belt, you should be able to do it. And this is the start for Burnley, um, and you know they they looked really good, honestly. Um, Corne, as you say, should have had two, except one of them was a little bit offside, uh, very very close. But yeah, Wood played well. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought Westwood also had a had a very good game.
1: Yeah, I, I think from Brentford's point of view, it's a bit concerning defensively because Burnley are a game or, are a game are a team who have lacked impetus going forward basically all season. Obviously, Cornet has changed that a bit recently. Um, you know, had two was it two goals against Leicester? I think a couple of weeks ago, um, and so they're getting better, but. Um, it's still from from Brentford's point of view, like that Matt Loughton goal, he just kind of waltzed into the box and then just rises above and and plants a header in the back of the net. But from Brentford's point of view, you you can't be letting that happen. This is a right back who's, you know, not very tall. And and it was easy. He, he he, He didn't even have much of like a running head start and then leap over. He just kind of jumped up and just won the header somehow. So I think Brentford definitely need to, you know, sort out their defense because conceding three to Burnley in the first 36 minutes of the game is pretty shocking, uh, quite frankly. And then talking about scoring three, let's talk about United putting a three spot on Tottenham who would of course fire Nuno Espirito Santo, just a a couple of days later, he got the sack. And we'll talk about the potential, well, it seems almost confirmed replacement of Antonio Conte in a second. But first, let's talk about this game. It's the same old story for United. Obviously, embarrassing result last week, getting absolutely thrashed by bitter rivals Liverpool at Old Trafford. Um, Obviously, we didn't get to talk about that game because we missed the episode last week. But then it's Ole doing the same old thing and having a, a big bounce back the next week and, you know, potentially saving his job. I still can't believe he didn't get sacked after that Liverpool game. It, it's a bit mind-blowing to me. Um, but then, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring a fantastic volley in the first half. And then Cavani popping up with a goal. You know, the two elder statesmen of that front line. And then Marcus Rashford, backroom injury, you know, getting on the score sheet um, after coming off the bench. So a, a big win for United at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium.
0: Absolutely was. And as you say, bouncing back from that embarrassing loss um, to Liverpool at home, 5-0. But yeah, what a finish from Ronaldo for the first goal. I mean, that is exactly what all United fans envisioned when they signed Ronaldo is Bruno playing a beautiful ball over the top. Was a and Ronaldo. Great ball fantastic ball and uh Bruno I mean and Ronaldo you know banging it in with a a perfect finish um the technique was just beautiful on it um I I actually liked this uh formation change from Ole because I think putting Ronaldo and Cavani together up there is just a fantastic idea um I, I think Cavani is so he's just so consistently good to to be able to put the ball in the back of the net regardless of his age he continues to find a way it's just his instinct to be in the right place at the right time and obviously his yeah yeah and obviously he has the finishing ability uh world class level so it, there's no question there um it, it it was also interesting i mean it i thought what aaron wan Basaka played really well even defensively because he was a wing back, obviously so it gave him more freedom going forward than he would normally have as a orthodox right back and then I thought he was really good defensively uh, tracking back. Um, overall, it was, it was a good performance, but I mean, the XG is, is very, very close. So, you know, it, it could have, according to that, it could have gone the other way, but I think it was a pretty clear, um, you know, success for Manchester United. And to, to the point of the manager, I agree with you that I was shocked uh, that Ole was not sacked after the uh, Liverpool game. From what I hear, uh, he had three games uh, to To save his job, that being this Spurs game, then Atalanta in the Champions League, and then of course the Manchester derby uh, at home at the at the weekend. So, I still think you know if he were to lose to Atalanta and City, I think he would get the sack. Uh, but obviously, I I think that's unlikely. So, uh, I think he's going to stay. But on the other side, Spurs sack their manager, um, as you say confirmed a few hours ago that Antonio Conte will be in a contract until 2023.
1: Confirmed uh, by 20- Fabrizio Romano and other sources. The club haven't announced it yet, but that's, you know, basically yes. as good as them announcing it. Yeah, it's that's that's confirmed enough for me. Um, and yeah, so it's an 18-month
0: contract until June 2023. But the, the big part of this to me is, it's, it's a failure for United. Now, if they sack Ole, they have absolutely nobody to bring in at that world-class manager level that they would want. Um, it, it's hilarious to me that they continue to do this, honestly. I don't know why they stick with it. I know that Sir Alex Ferguson backs uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but to, to leave the one manager that could really you know, elevate you to challenge, title challengers, and should just leave him out there and let another Premier League club snatch him up because they decided to sack their manager first is is ridiculous to me. It, it's not what a large club like Manchester United should be doing. Is letting uh, a Tottenham Hotspur, who are always you know a banter club, to to, to beat them to because it, it's creating Manchester United into a banter club that they're just letting a, only. Run them into the ground. I mean, always at the wheel, but he's driving recklessly. So, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I, I totally agree. I honestly respect the move. Well, not only respect. I think it's a fantastic move from from Dan Levy. You know, the fact is that, you know, I don't agree with him sacking Pochettino when he did. I thought that was a horrible decision. I also thought that sacking Mourinho just days before a cup final, although I'm not the biggest Mourinho fan myself, even I can acknowledge that that is also a horrible decision. But if we're looking at Nuno's, you know, short reign under Spurs, but they were genuinely horrific. Like, listen to some of these stats. Tottenham under Nuno this season – had nine goals, that's tied for 19th in the Premier League. They had 103 shots, that's tied for last in the league. They created 71 chances, that's tied for 19th in the league. And their XG per game was 1.05, that was 17th in the league. They also created the fourth least XG in the entire league, right? So that was per game. So the only teams that they had a higher XG per game or total XG in those games that are Nuno, the only teams they were above were Norwich, Watford, and Newcastle, which are three relegation candidates, you know, and and two of them which are, you know, looking very likely to go down at this point, unless obviously Newcastle could – you know, drops him a lot of cash in January, and they probably will considering how poorly they're playing. But the fact of the matter is that sacking Nuno was a hundred percent the correct decision. In my opinion, Spurs were just not good under him whatsoever. And then they go out and get Antonio Conte, who's in my opinion, a top five manager in the world right now. And I also agree that it's boneheaded from United. They just got smacked at home five nil, by you know bitter historic rivals and they were utterly embarrassed but they don't sack their manager there's a beautiful candidate just waiting there in Antonio Conte who I think is it would be a much better fit at United than he is at Spurs but you know they decide not to pull the trigger for some reason despite the fact that they've had Ole for like three seasons now and haven't gotten any better you know, they haven't challenged for trophies. They've been getting knocked out of the Champions League and whatnot, you know, every season in a in group stage even, or I guess they lost to Barcelona one year. But the fact of the matter is that, yeah, United should have beaten Spurs to sacking their manager and then gone and got Conte because, you know, now they've given Spurs basically a lifeline. I was talking to my friend earlier who was a Spurs fan, and he said, this is the only way that I was going to have any more excitement for the rest of the season, right? Be excited at all. Cause now they've gone out, they've replaced Nuno who finished 13th with Wolves last season. And they've replaced him with a top five manager in the world who went into Inter Milan, who had been dysfunctional for a decade and won the title within two seasons. So obviously I'm not saying Spurs are going to win the title anytime soon, but the fact of the matter is that this is a fantastic appointment for them. Um, and, and it's just a massive brain fart from United and the Glazers. And I just can't believe that they didn't pull the trigger on getting rid of Ole and bringing in a manager who is far superior. Instead, one of their biggest rivals in Tottenham, you know, obviously in terms of they've been finishing in, in relatively similar places um, across the past, you know, half a decade or so. And now they've let them beat them to the punch and they're stuck with Ole and, and who would they even replace Ole with at this point? I, I totally agree with you, Justin. I think it's you know just as big of an L for United as it is a dub for Spurs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to your point of Nuno uh, failing to succeed in all those stats, I think the biggest glaring thing is uh, Kane has, what, one Premier League goal all season? Yeah. He, he hasn't been able to get the best out of, in my opinion, the best striker in the entire world. Um, and we saw what Jose did with him. I think Conte will be able to do something similar uh, based on what we saw him do with Lukaku at Inter. He turned him yeah. into the top three uh, striker in the world, probably. So incredible there. Um, the other point is it's interesting because Spurs wanted Conte uh, in, in the offseason. I mean, that's in the summer, that's who they wanted to get uh, in, and they couldn't do it. But now they found yeah, a way with this Right. And so it's interesting that now they can get him once they sacked Nuno uh, mid-season. It's interesting that Conte flips there. And then, of course, the last piece is if he went to United, Chelsea fans are a lot less angry that if he goes to their bitter rivals in Tottenham Hotspur, uh, you know, the former Chelsea manager, Conte. So that's another interesting piece to it.
1: Yeah, definitely is. But I think that's enough to talk about that for now. Let's uh, move on. You mentioned that Leeds game. You know they jumped back above um, Burnley, but still, you know, pretty poor from them. In my opinion, I think they've just been poor the whole season. We we didn't talk about it last week, but a, a bad loss to Southampton. This week they managed to find a way to win at Carrow Road. All three goals in this game came within a four-minute stretch. It was Rafinha who cut inside on his left foot, as he always does, and found the back of the net in the 56th minute. But I'm going to get the name right. Ready? Omoba Medele, boom, from Norwich, equalized from a corner just two minutes later. But then it was Rodrigo um, from a long way out finding what would end up being the winner. Um, It was poor goalkeeping, honestly, from Tim Krul. I don't think that should have gone in. It was on the ground. Not really that far in the corner from a, from a long way out, but that ended up being the winner for leeds uh, a win that they desperately needed. you know if they didn 't win it, they 'd be uh, in the relegation zone they 've been flirting with it all season um, so a, a big win for them, obviously, Norwich are going down that 's never been in doubt. but I think Leeds did they particularly deserve to win this game? you know. Maybe not. They, they actually had, okay, they had a little bit more XG than Norwich. It was .99 to .90. So, you know, you, you'd say a draw was probably a fair result. Um, but they did find a way to win, which I think was big for them. Um, you know, I think also not only would they have been in the relegation zone if they didn't win, but not picking up three points against Norwich would be, you know, a bit humiliating as well.
0: Yeah, and if we're calling uh, Southampton Watford a relegation six-pointer, this one certainly is as well yeah um which I, I mean has at the beginning of the season would be tough to say to Leeds because I don't think there were many people who believed that they were gonna suffer second season syndrome uh, which it looks like they are a little bit um, and then of course Lester they
1: yeah, definitely are <laughs>
0: well right yeah well we'll still early in the season but yes um, and then they have Lester s and Spurs as their next two which are you know a couple difficult games um, so it's it's not looking great but again as we said uh for earlier it's big to get these wins um in in, when you're in the relegation zone that those three points are how you stay up um i i still believe Leeds will stay up um i i just don't see them going down no i'm not sure why even even though i know newcastle you know are in 19th and will spend in the winter and richest club in the world by a long shot by a long shot and you know so uh, assuming that they you know rise up the table that would mean Leeds would be in the relegation zone but still I think you know it'll probably be Watford or or somebody else falling into that spot um, and getting relegated I actually had predicted Newcastle to get relegated in our um, pre-season predictions uh, if in our very first episode of this podcast which
1: will not happen now so well most likely i mean right now it still looks like uh, it it could but that's because they haven't spent the i saw some figure that they could spend like over a hundred something million this this january because of how little they've spent in the past i actually had them finishing 15th i'm pretty happy with that right now i think that's very likely (laughs) so i don't think they're going to skyrocket all the way up you know anywhere near the top half with the spending but you know i i think they'll probably stay up um talking about a team who are definitely going to stay up and a team who are going to be in the top half contention. And that's probably at the minimum. And I think we underestimated them um, at the beginning during those predictions. It's West Ham who went to Villa Park and put four up on Villa. Um, it was 4-1 final um, that scoreline was aided by, by two goals um, at, in the final 10 minutes from Fournells and Bo, and after Ezri Conte got sent off for uh, denying of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity in the 50th minute. But, you know, this honestly doesn't surprise me much because West Ham have been phenomenal yet again this season so far. Um, and Villa, honestly, are nowhere near as good as people were thinking they were going to be, right? Villa are sitting in 15th right now on 10 points. Meanwhile, West Ham are in 4th. Um, level on points with City which is very impressive when you think about it that way they have not been suffering from you know playing in the Europa League their depth has been coming through David Moyes is consistently getting the best out of a lot of these players Um, so it's another big three points impressive result for West Ham on the road against a team that you know people would say we're probably at the beginning of the season would say we're we're contenders both probably contenders for Europa League spots but right now West Ham just like a a total league above Aston Villa yeah
0: they certainly do I mean I I continue to say this about Aston Villa because while we expected them to be okay because you know they they spent their money that they got from Grealish really quickly on three quality players but those three players have not really gotten to play together at all I mean, Bailey's been hurt when D has been out early. And now, now that both of them are back, Ings is out. I mean, it's really, it's really unfortunate for them. Um, the way that their injuries have been working with their new signings, but regardless uh, I mean, very impressive from West Ham, as you say, continually uh, just having a great season as level on points with Man City in fourth place. Uh, I mean, if you had to predict, you know, who's going to finish higher, West Ham or United right now, I don't know after the fact that United are, are stuck with Ole the rest of the season. Uh, it's it's really a question, and that's, that that could be a Europa League fight there. Um, if I, I expect Spurs to, to uh, rise up with Conte, Arsenal are continually on the upswing. I mean, this could be a really interesting top four and, and top six race, Um and of course, that seventh spot now with the Conference League. But I think it'll be really tight in and around there. I, I expected Everton to be in there as well, Leicester. But those two are, are not having the, the seasons that we expected um, to this point. So I just think it's going to be a really interesting uh, fight around there, thanks to a team like West Ham, who are overperforming uh, what we would have expected from them, even though you know they had a good season last year, obviously, uh, to make it into the Europa League and i I think as we said as we continue to say throughout um their season is a lot dependent on Mikael antonio and it is still early so uh if he can stay healthy you know this this is a serious top four top six contender really top six in my opinion i don't think they'll uh, make that top four but who knows um but regardless if he can stay healthy all year i don't see any reason they don't make the top six again
1: I think they are I think they are top four contenders. They've been more consistent than United and Arsenal. Um, you know, I, I think they are top four contenders. I could see West Ham finishing in the top four, assuming they stay healthy. I honestly think them getting knocked out of the Europa League would even uh, boost that. So we'll see how far they go in that competition. But um you mentioned Everton there. I think we'll use that as the segue. You said that you had them up there. I didn't remember. I finished them to I I predicted them to finish 11th for us to finish 11th, I should say. Right now, we're in 10th. We lost uh 2 1 to Wolves today, earlier today, as we recorded. Um, the first half performance was absolutely pathetic, is the only way I can describe it. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen an Everton performance where the players just seemed like they didn't care as much as they did in that first half. It was genuinely awful. Um, the second half was much, much better, but you know a lot of damage had already been done. It was 2-0 at halftime at half in favor of Wolves. It was Max Killman scoring off a corner. We consistently cannot defend off corners this season. It's uh, very dreadful. Watford took full advantage of that as well. Um, and then West Ham found their winner against us a few weeks ago from a corner. And then it was Ben Godfrey with a horrible back pass, um, which basically just gifted Raul Jimenez um, another goal. Um, which is, you know, increasing his confidence as, as he returns. And, you know, is still kind of getting back to his full former self after his head injury. Um, but, you know, Godfrey, I, I can't really defend how poor of a pass that was, obviously, but he's only played his actual position, which is center back once this entire season. So, you know, as, as much as he, you know, cannot be afford. He cannot afford to make mistakes like that. You know, I, I still don't think. You know, everybody's talking about. Oh, Godfrey's not the player that we thought he was. I don't think that's true. I still. I just think he needs a, a run of games at center back. But Luka Dean was out today, so he had to play left back. Um, but the second half was much better. It was actually Fabian Delph of all people, probably the last person you'd expect who would end up almost changing the game. Um, he came on at halftime for Jean Philippe Gabamin, who made his first Premier League start in like two years and was not very effective. Delf came on and really sure things up, and, and Everton were the better team in the second half. Um, it was Alex Awobi of all people who got the goal um, to you know pull one back and get Everton into the game. Uh, in the end, it wouldn't end up mattering, but Awobi um, actually and I was you know really ragging on him on Twitter because. He just didn't seem to be trying whatsoever. He was walking. There was a lot of space he could have exploited, and and he was being incredibly lazy. Um, And he did score this goal. Didn't change the fact that I thought that he was absolutely dreadful across the whole game. But um, he has scored three Premier League goals for Everton, and every single one of them has been against Wolves, which is quite funny, including one where I was in attendance at the game. But – I don't know. It's, it's tough for Everton. People are calling for Rafa to get sacked. I think that's outrageous. Uh, he's not going to get sacked un- unless we're about to get relegated, which I don't see happening, especially with, you know, the return of Mina and Calvert-Lewin on the horizon. Um, obviously, Decore is out for, for a while, but when he comes back, the fact of the matter is that we have fielded our strongest 11 exactly zero times this season. And, and you know, up until the last three games, we were doing pretty well. So, although this is a very, you know, disheartening loss and the first half performance was absolutely pathetic, as I said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get too low on this personally. Um, the biggest problem, I think, is that our upcoming fixtures are horrible. Uh, Spurs, City, Brentford, Liverpool, Arsenal, Palace, and then Chelsea and Leicester. That's up basically through Boxing Day. You know, there's, you could make a strong case, especially with DCL seeming to be out until at least mid December, probably, you know, it, it's, I, it's, I struggle to see, you know, which of these games you could actually win. Brentford on the road is not an easy fixture whatsoever. So, I mean, that palace game, it, it's possible that that's the only three points that, that we pick up, you know, in one game, at least un, until boxing day and, or the new year. So, you know, I'm kind of strapping in for a, for a tough run here. I don't think we'll get relegated. I, I don't think we'll be in that discussion. I think there's definitely three teams or three, four, five teams that are a lot worse than we are, but with Calvert-Lewin out, um, I did an article or, uh, at the end of last week about, you know, the statistical difference between Everton with DCL and Everton without DCL. And, you know, the, I'll tell you this, Justin, I'm not sure if you got around to reading that yet, but, With DCL since the beginning of last season, Everton have averaged 1.69 points per game without him 1.09. So that's a huge difference. If you add that across the whole season, that's 23 points, you know, big, big difference. So getting him back for the second half of the season will be huge, but I don't know a lot of doom and gloom on Everton Twitter today. Not, not a fun game to watch. um, At least that first half particularly what were your thoughts i'll stop rambling on now
0: yeah well not not much to add on on everton i think that you know you can you covered everything there but um you know yeah obviously dcl is a big loss i think it's been clear that he's everton aren't the same without him um but as far as wolves big win for wolves um it puts them in seventh place uh in that conference league spot i uh thought that wolves would struggle this year um w- without Nuno without uh, or with, with Jimenez coming back um, I, I didn't think that it was going to be a, a top half finish for them but it looks good so far um, I, I think this is a fully deserved win as you say the the first half from Everton was atrocious the um, Pickford was really keeping the minute for that first 10 or 20 minutes could have been 2-0 by that time um, he, he had a couple great saves but yeah I mean it's very interesting result. It's one that tells you who's going to be in the bottom half and who's going to be in the top half. And it looks like Everton's going to be in that bottom half and you bring up, you know, Rafa uh, being under pressure. I think, I, I mean, I fully agree with you. It's not time at all yet to, to sack him or even really think about it, but you mentioned the run of fixtures coming up for Everton. That's really difficult um, and you know, could put him in that hot seat if he can't find points from these upcoming games. Uh, do you think that he, there's a chance he'll he'll get sacked in the next few weeks? Say he loses, um, you know, most of these games besides Brentford until um, and, and you know Arsenal or or even Chelsea around that uh, mid December time frame? Uh, when DCL, you know, you should be coming back. Do you think he gets he's under pressure around there?
1: He shouldn't be. He really shouldn't. Like just, just think of the fact that he inherited he inherited a squad that finished 10th. Obviously 59 points, which is um very high for a team that finishes 10th last year under Ancelotti, but he literally only got to spend one point seven million this summer. That's less than almost every championship club, let alone Premier League clubs. That was bottom of the league. He was not backed whatsoever. I think it, it would be absolutely just outrageous if you were to be sacked anytime soon even if we lost all those games I still don't think that's fair whatsoever and I don't think that there's a better replacement really out there so I sure hope not um, I, and, and if it does then I just don't know I, I, if he does get sacked I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself but yeah I think with that Justin um, from, from a time perspective we should move on to the MLS talking about The playoff picture, of course, as usual, we're really getting down towards the wire now. Decision day coming up very, very soon. Um, We did not get to talk about um, LAFC's draw with uh, uh, with Minnesota last week. Um, uh, Nor did we. Nor did we talk about that that win over Dallas, just narrowly defeating Dallas. but then LAFC picked up a huge win over Seattle. Obviously, we're going to be talking, you know, a lot about LAFC because they are one of those teams in, you know, the Western Conference being very, very tight. The Galaxy and the Sounders are actually playing as we record this. Um, but Justin, give us just a little update, um, I guess, recap in, in the past two weeks since we last recorded. Um, what is what is the scenario looking like? How can LAFC uh, qualify for the playoffs by the way it's still nil nil in that game through 17 minutes
0: yes um no as you say uh at have a lot of results that that minnesota result was really uh, a big one uh we really needed that win uh, or would have been you know crucial to to putting us in that playoff spot um but minnesota finding a way uh, you know, to, to level it is really big for them because it, it keeps them um, in those playoff spots and it, it moved. I mean, they're all the way up in fifth right now. That's how tight this uh, this, this playoff race is um, from, from Portland in fourth, all the way through LAFC in ninth, which is within five points of each other. So five places, five points. Um, uh, it, it's very, very close. So, as far as how LAFC get in, um we have to be able to I mean there there have to be some results to go our way. We got um RSL need need to, we need to be able to hop them uh first and foremost, which I will appreciate the uh your your Quakes helping us out with a four three win, although it was a bit scary there at the end. Oh, it definitely um, very, was very big uh win. Uh, For us, because that's one that we expected RSL to be able to take at least one, if not three points from Um, when they now their final two games are Portland and Sporting Kansas City, which are obviously going to be very difficult uh, games, both of them, hopefully for LAFC, they can not get a win out uh, out of any of those. As you say, um, LA Galaxy, who are currently in seventh in that final playoff spot. Uh, are currently playing Seattle Sounders, which should be a very difficult game, and then have Minnesota uh, on uh, the final day, which is obviously you know head to head for the playoffs. Um, and then above, uh, right above them is Vancouver, who we play tomorrow at the Bank. I will be there. Um, it, a massive, massive game for both teams. I mean, Huge. this could, yeah, that could be the game that really decides uh, whether or not LAFC get into the playoffs. Because if LAFC are able to get three points from that game, they can hop all the way over Vancouver. Um, depending on the Galaxy uh, and RSL results, that could put them in the playoff spots, uh, which, which would be obviously massive. So the thing really is, is that these teams in the West, right around the playoff spots, play each other in the final uh, few games, bar RSL who play uh, Portland and, and, as, and SKC. Um, I I don't really consider Portland in this because I'm, they will uh, hold on to their spot, but it's, it's galaxy. I mean, who were in fourth place a couple of weeks ago and have been dropping nearly to um, outside of the, the uh, playoff race. But I, I I was talking to Gio Garcia from uh, LA soccer hub uh, earlier today. And he said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if neither LA team makes this playoffs because neither has shown the consistency needed uh, to, to make it in. So, we will see. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. Um, that, that Vancouver game will be very crucial. Um, and then uh, LFC travel to Colorado uh, on the final day, which will also be interesting. Um, hopefully, for our sake, Colorado will rest some players because they will have a uh, playoff spot locked up, probably that third spot. They are well ahead of uh, Portland. And, I mean, theoretically, they could you know fight for that first spot because they are level on 58 points with both Kansas city and Seattle, but both of sporting Kansas city and Seattle have a game in hand there. So I don't think that they're going to get there. Hopefully they realize that and, and want to bench a few players, but that is the, the galaxy
1: have just scored the galaxy have just scored Chicharito. That is a huge, huge goal for the galaxy in Seattle. Um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, if, if the galaxy don't win this game, um, they could be in huge, huge trouble. That's a that's a really big goal because the Galaxy actually play Minnesota on that last game of the season. So Minnesota basically have two playoff six pointers against teams right next to them. But if you know, I, I was gonna say, oh, if Seattle are at home, you know, they're fighting for the one spot. They they should beat the Galaxy, and then you know, the Galaxy could be in a lot of trouble there because if they don't beat uh, Vancouver um, and RSL lose to uh, KC and Portland, who they should probably lose to, then the LFC could easily take Galaxy spot. But just as I say that, Chicharito scores for Galaxy in in, in the nineteenth minute, and um, that's a big goal. But yeah, Justin, it's going to be a wild final week of the season. We've got two games, in, including you know the one going on right now, left for most teams. Um, that Vancouver game tomorrow um, is going to be massive for you guys. I'm really excited about that. Quickly, just wanted to touch on the quakes rsl game because uh we've been talking a lot about lafc i just want to point out that that game um i thought it was over in the 10th minute it was it was a goal for rsl in the ninth minute by um rusnak who actually ended up getting a, a brace but the quakes looked completely devoid of life looking like they had no motivation, obviously had, had been eliminated against Portland the game before, but then just out of nowhere, the Quakes exploded into life. Fierro scored a tap in in the 37th minute, assist from Cade Cowell, and then Wando, the MLS all-time leading goal scorer, getting goal number 170 off a corner, and then the goal from Cade Cowell, Justin, I mean, why has he not been starting? I've been harping on it. Like, Almeida, what are you thinking? Not starting this kid. He's special. Just turned 18. You know, gets a a long throw from JT Marcinkowski. Sprints down the sideline. Absolutely skins two RSL defenders, including Justin Glad. And then outside of the right boot into the bottom corner. Absolutely fantastic goal. And, you know, I I just – it still hurts my brain that he hasn't been starting every single game this season Mm -hmm. because he has a level of talent that no one else in the Quake squad, honestly, even comes close to. His ceiling is so far above anyone else in this team. And then it was Jackson Ewell putting on some pressure um, and and stealing the ball and and firing one in the back of the net. That would actually end up being the winner because RSL would get two late goals, trying to claw one back, but it wouldn't be enough. Quake's got a a big – three points from for LAFC. Obviously, you know, three points didn't matter for the Quakes whatsoever, but um, it was nice to play spoiler for RSL, a, a team that we've had a lot of uh, bad blood with in the past. So, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Cade Cowell, what a guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I hope to see him uh, with the USU 20s in their upcoming tournament. I expect to see him. Um, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be there. But um, yeah, as just uh, on that Seattle game. They have Rui Diaz back. Um, and, and Jordan Morris as well, who is on the bench currently, but is likely to come uh, on the bench. I believe Schmetzer confirmed that he uh, is definitely going to make an appearance, so he should be coming on in the second half. Hopefully he can make a difference uh, as an LAFC fan. And then uh, quickly looking at the Eastern Conference uh, playoff race, because they're, they're very close, close race on that side of the uh, bracket as well. Uh, Columbus getting a massive win over DC United, 3-1, to one. Um, to keep them in the race and basically catch uh, DC United because they're now level on points on 44 uh, in eighth and ninth place, um, which allowed New York Red Bull, who got uh, a one nil win over Montreal, to hop into that seventh spot. Uh, Atlanta, right above them, getting a draw and staying in that sixth spot. So uh, that side of, is is very tight as well. Anything can happen there. Um, Atlanta United are the the very interesting ones to me that I'd like to point out because of the way that they started off their season. Then they went all the way up there and, you know, third or fourth place, if I'm not mistaken. And then now they're, they're falling off a little bit. And if they can't stay into the playoffs, that would be a a real disappointment for them after the way they turned their season around. Um, So very, uh, very interesting race on both sides of uh, the MLS standings and, Honestly, anything can happen. Uh, it really will be interesting to see where it goes. Um, the only thing that is really set in stone is New England are taking the one spot in the East with the most points ever in an MLS season. They, to- they passed uh, 2019 LAFC on 72. They, uh, New England now have 73 points, uh, which is an MLS record, and they still have a game to go against uh, Inter-Miami. To, to be able to extend that even further.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really this last week is must watch TV, especially decision day is going to be absolutely wild, especially with the fact that galaxy are playing against Minnesota. That's going to be huge. Um, so yeah, really, really excited for, for these last two games. And it's nice that I, I guess I'm relatively neutral. Obviously, I, I would prefer for the Galaxy to, to drop out of the playoffs. But seeming as I don't have a horse in this race, I get to kind of sit back and enjoy and watch the chaos that is sure to unfold in in this next week. Um, so yeah, don't yeah, miss you, it. Guys. You get
0: more, you get more fun. I get more stress, but yeah, you're,
1: you're going to be very stressed tomorrow night. That's for sure. And I'll be definitely be watching that game. Oh, actually I won't be watching that game. I have work, unfortunately, but I'll follow along on my phone.
0: <laughs> I'll text you updates. Don't worry.
1: That, that, that sounds good. And some, some Snapchat videos from the 3252 from the North end. I'm sure with that guys, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Um, you know, was, Sorry again for, for missing last week, but um, hopefully we made it up with a, a great episode today. Um, we will be back to discuss um, the madness that I'm sure will be Decision Day and who got in and who didn't. Uh, we also have a, a full slate of Premier League fixtures next weekend, including most notably the Manchester Derby on Saturday morning. So that's going to be a fantastic episode. Don't miss it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. We'll see you next week. Enjoy this crazy weekend of games.